Future Pulse, Patients First, investigating innovative cardiovascular research with a patient-oriented clinical outcome focus. I'm Dr. Thomas Nero, clinical and interventional cardiologist and director of cardiovascular research at CAFC. Good morning and welcome to Patient Pulse. I'm Dr. Tom Nero. Today, we are with Dr. Stephen Nissen. Dr. Nissen is the chief academic officer at the Cleveland Clinic and has been the clinical trial lead for a number of LPA trials and is probably one of the smartest cardiologists in the entire world, if you ask me. I'm really pleased to have him with us today to discuss lipoprotein little a and its effect on the development of ischemic coronary artery disease. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. So we're going to jump right in and say, what the hell is lipoprotein little a and why should we care? Yeah. It's a special kind of a cholesterol particle that like low density or LDL cholesterol that everybody knows about, and most people hopefully know what their level is, much fewer people know what their lipoprotein A level is, but it is substantially more likely to provoke atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease than LDL. It is more atherogenic, if you will, than LDL cholesterol. And it is also promotes thrombosis. And cardiovascular disease, coronary disease particularly, is an atherothrombotic disease, atherosclerosis and thrombosis or clotting. And this particle promotes both. With LP little a, how much over the LDL levels does this increase your risk? It depends on how high your level is. The two unit systems, milligrams per deciliter and nanomoles per liter, and they're very different. But if you use milligrams per deciliter, you know, once you start to get above 70 milligrams per deciliter, risk goes up. And the higher your level is, the higher the risk. And it can be double or even triple, you know, the risk that other people will have. And so knowing that level is very, very important. Now, my understanding is that currently we can't treat lipoprotein little life. What do you recommend as far as people being screened for this? And what do you recommend for the current way to look at treatment? Well, I personally believe everybody should have it done at least once in their lifetime. It doesn't change. Once you get it, it is what it is. So in their or maybe early 20s, most people should have a level obtained, particularly if they have a family history of coronary heart disease. And if they have a high level, then what I tell people is, okay, We can't lower your lipoprotein A level, but we can take all the other risk factors off the table. Get your blood pressure under good control. Make sure that your body weight is where it should be, that you exercise, that your LDL cholesterol is very low. And we can, at very least, we can delay the onset of atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease by taking care of the other risk factors. And there's nothing that they can do individually uh, rather than just risk factor reduction as far as lowering LPA level, uh, my understanding is that diet doesn't change it, that exercise, unfortunately, doesn't change it. Diet doesn't change it, exercise doesn't change it, statins don't lower it. It just, there isn't another therapy yet, but we're working on them. So right now, there are three different trials that are in or around phase three. So when do you think that we're going to get initial data on whether treating LP, LP little a directly is going to make a difference? Well, the first of these trials, which is a drug called Pelicarsin, as in phase three, will probably end, uh, can, may end in 2025. And of course, there is a delay, even if the drugs actually work, then you have to file with the FDA and the FDA has to 
has to chew on the data before they actually approve. I think they would do an accelerated evaluation because of the public health interest in, in doing this. But if it works sometime in the next several years, we're going to potentially have therapies on the market. And the epidemiology of this shows that for very, very high levels of LPA, we're looking at almost 10% of the population and for high enough levels to be clinically significant, 20% of the population. We have calculated, actually Sam Samikas did this calculation, a very one of the pioneers in this field, that there are 1.4 billion people on the planet that have elevated levels. And there are 64 million people in the United States. Uh, so this is a very prevalent risk factor and it's a very potent risk factor. Currently, when you're looking at a patient who has an elevated lipoprotein LLA, how are you changing what their baseline therapy is? Do you have different goals for them? Yeah, lower goals for their LDL cholesterol, treat it more intensively uh, using uh, typically statins plus sometimes azetamide and even adding the injectable agents, the PCSK9 inhibitors that are available now, three of them that are on the market. So uh, yeah, we, we have more aggressive goals. I, I actually have lower blood pressure goals. Everything we treat more aggressively. I, I tell people, boy, get out there and exercise, You know, maybe build some coronary collaterals, do everything you can to avoid having the consequences of this disorder. So we're gonna do something that I thought would be a little bit fun. We're gonna do a little lightning round here to talk about a couple of patient populations. And these patient populations are all going to be essentially the same with just a couple of small changes to see how you would change uh, what you do. Um, all of them are 60-year-old women, and all of them are on high-dose statin or the maximum tolerated statin dose. So the first patient is a relatively easy one. So a patient comes in with a myocardial infarction, um, has a high-dose statin, LDL of 100, and lipoprotein little a, of 100 milligrams per deciliter, which is certainly three times the upper limit of normal. How would you approach that patient? I would probably add a PCSK9 inhibitor and get their LDL down. I, I, LDL of 100 in that patient's not good enough. It's not even good enough you know, by most current guidelines, let alone with somebody with a high lipoprotein A. And the current guidelines would say that you want to get the LDL down to less than 55 after an acute MI. It's complicated because unfortunately our guidelines have abandoned targets, but the European guidelines, which are more sensible, would say that a very high risk patient should get below 55 milligrams per deciliter. And are you trying to, for those patients, trying to get them even lower down to 40 or um, as many of our lipid colleagues are talking about trying to get it to 35? There are two trials uh, that took people from about 90 milligrams per deciliter down to in the mid thirties that showed benefits. Nobody is a bigger believer that lower is better than I am. And, you know, patients ask me how low an LDL is too low. And I tell them if it goes below zero, that, that's when I worry about it. All right, so the next patient is also a 60 year old female, also on statin, LDL 100, with a coronary calcium score of 100, uh, and whose LPA is 100 milligrams per deciliter. Primary prevention or secondary prevention? Primary prevention has not had a stent or bypass surgery or an MI. 100 milligrams per deciliter, uh, 60 year woman. I haven't cal I could calculate the percentile, but I would guess that 100 Agatson score is probably up in the 90th percentile. You know, I'd get that patient lower. How you get there is obviously controversial. It's hard to get primary prevention patients to get the 
pharmacy benefit managers to let you use a PCSK9 inhibitor. So I'd probably at the very least start azetamibe. And not all high-intensity statins are the same. The most potent is rosuvastatin in the 40 milligram dose. And sometimes when you switch people from 80 milligrams of atorvastatin to 40 of rosuvastatin, you get some additional LDL lowering. And then adding azetamibe, you can get 20% often. And so I think in primary prevention, I'd probably try to do it without going to an injectable agent unless I absolutely have to. And would you start them on aspirin? Yes, I would start them on aspirin. All right. So the last patient, which is a, a not uncommon one that we're seeing uh, in our office now, is a 60-year-old woman, no prior MI. This is so primary prevention. Uh, LDL is now 100 on statins, uh, but has a very strong family history of early onset coronary artery disease. So a first-degree family member with an MI under the age of 55. And you said the lipoprotein A level was? 100 milligrams per deciliter. 100 milligrams, yeah. Yeah. This would also be the, the equivalent, by the way, of about 225 to 245 nanomoles per liter. I mean, again, this patient has a risk-enhancing factor, which is family history. And so more intensive therapy is warranted, again, using the highest potency statin available. Um, and uh, obviously combined with diet. Uh, in some cases, when you see people like this, you find out that they're on a fast food diet and you can get them on a Mediterranean diet and you can get some additional lowering and then you can add azetamibe and get another perhaps 20% and you try to get them down to an LDL that's, that's lower, maybe below 70 would be good. It's hard to make the case for an injectable agent in these patients, but I worry about them. Clearly, we're all trying to figure out these things. And I and I do thank you for going beyond the guidelines and giving opinions for these approaches, because unfortunately, a lot of the questions that we have in the clinic, they're not things that we have clear clinical trial data for. Let me make a little bit of a provocative statement. Guidelines are just guidelines. They're not mandates. They're just suggestions for what you ought to do. But, you know, Everybody's got to make their own mind up about what's best for their patients, and it may be going beyond the guidelines. I completely agree. I think that our guidelines, unfortunately, and I'm not going to criticize anyone, but our guidelines, I think, are a little bit behind. I think that the European guidelines are certainly more sensible. When you start looking at these studies and you get data in front of you, you have to say, you know, I have to address this one way or another. Completely agree. Well, Dr. Nissen, thank you so much for taking all your time today. Uh, thank you, and I really appreciate all the work that you've done over the years. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you'd like to take a deeper dive, you can check out Future Pearls Cardiology, which can be found on most podcast services. 